Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. All right, so as we get ready to begin, I would actually you know, like to say thank you. It's always such an honor and a privilege to be able to stand and just share God's Word amongst His church. And, you know, before we open in prayer, I want to read to you from uh, the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in actually in chapter 86. Tucked away in chapter 86 is a handful of verses that I want to share as it will set the tone for our opening prayer, set the tone for just how we approach God's throne of grace this morning. So let's read together and Uh, Psalm 86, beginning in verse 6, the psalmist says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things, you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and will glorify your name forever. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we get ready to uh, break the bread of life, as we get ready to open up your sacred scripture and and be taught by you, I pray that today you would uh, certainly move in our midst as only you can. We're trusting you today to be sovereign over us, and and as we desire to do nothing that is outside of your divine will for us, Lord, I pray today that our hearts and our minds, uh, everything about us would be completely given over to you and to you alone. Father, we pray and we beg for just a a visitation from you today, that we would be your people and you would be our God. And and we pray, Father, today, just like um, it reminds me of, of Daniel's prayer, as he said that we come before you not because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And that's where we stand today. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this honor to be in your presence. And I pray that thy will be done today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, and for His sake, Amen. So, you know, since today is, a, is, is essentially a continuation of where we were last week, as we've been marching through or journeying through the book of Ephesians, you know, it would do us a great service to back up and let's visit again the passage that we were in last week, as it's all, you know, it's all one unit, it's all one thought, it's a continuation. So we're going to open today just by reading the first 14 verses of chapter 5 before we actually dig into verse 15. So if you will, if you have your Bible or you want to look up at the screen, we're going to be in chapter 5 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as it is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. 
For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of, the, of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So last week, if you're paying attention, um, as, as we walked through those verses, and, and one thing that really stuck out or resonated with me, and, and I hope that it did with you. If not, then we're going to revisit that. But, but, but Pastor Josh used the verbiage. He said he talked about towing up to the line. Do you remember that? Did that, did that ring a bell with you? In other words, he was talking about, you know, like we draw this imaginary line in the sand and we get just as close to it as we can without going over. All right? And, and that, honestly, you know, we, we typically do that when we ask this question, you know, how close can I get before it's technically wrong? Or I'll use that word that, that's, you know, so commonly uh, uh, replaced in, in, in modern talk, but it's sin. You know, how close can I get before it's sinful? How close can I get before it's too close or before I go over the line or, or whatever the case may be? And, you know, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, just a little transparent. I'm guilty of that more than I want to admit. You know, I've been guilty of that more than I want to admit, and I'm, you know, if, if, if history is any teacher, I'm probably going to be guilty of it again. But it's something that we do, and sometimes we do it subconsciously, sometimes we do it purposefully, you know, sometimes it's premeditated, but, you know, that there was, there's this understanding, okay, that our goal or our object, our objective, and our walk with Christ is not to see just how close we can get before it's technically the wrong thing. Um, years back, I'd probably say 10 or 12, somewhere years ago, um, a group of guys and myself, we had a small group and we'd meet together on uh, Friday mornings and, and it'd be before work, like 4.30 or 5. I know that's, you know, that the object of the, the smell that morning is just horrendous, right? No, but we'd get up early before work and it was really quiet and we would uh, we would have like a Bible study. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Joe Savage, but at the back, I'd probably say 20 years or better, he wrote a book. It's actually a devotional, but he wrote a book. It's intended to be like a 40-day devotion, like this, almost like a, a central focus for 40 days of kind of getting yourself back in alignment. But um, we actually spent like a year in it. But it's called More of God, More of Me. And the whole concept behind it was, you know, the, the more that we give up of ourselves, the more we can receive. Okay, And in that book, and I forget what day it was, he tells this story of a particular gentleman who was very wealthy. He lived up a mountain, and he needed a driver to get his daughter down the mountain to school each morning. So he put out an ad and had a lot of interest, and as he would interview uh, each driver, it was a typical interview. You know, give me your experience, you know, tell me about yourself, all that kind of stuff. And then he would end each interview with a very probing question, and he would ask them, or he would tell them, about halfway down the road, down the driveway of this mountain, there's a part you're going to come to where it gets kind of squirrely, okay? He'd say, there's a, 
there's a rock face on one side and then there's a really big cliff, a drop-off on the other. How would you handle that situation? And driver after driver answered the same exact way. They said, well, I've been driving for X amount of years. I drove for this company. I drove this kind of vehicle. I've got this experience. I can do this. I can do that. I bet I can get within a foot or even closer to the edge without it becoming too dangerous or about without things getting unstable or without there being a problem or us going over the side. He'd say, okay, take a note and send them on. The last driver to come through that interview process, he asked that question and that driver said, well, he said, you tell me there's a cliff on one side and there's a rock face on the other, correct? He said, yeah. He said, well, I'm going to get as close to that rock face as I can get. He said, because at that point, I only have this much road to deal with. So if I know that I'm as far over against the rock, against the, the wall as I can be, then I'm as far from the edge as I can be. And that's the best place to go. To go. The gentleman said, you're hired. Okay. So that, that's the essence of what we're trying to talk about today. When Paul talks about our walk in Ephesians, he's talking about our life, how we live, the things we do, the decisions we make, where we are going, and every bit of that. We're not to be so concerned with, well, how close can I get? No, we're concerned with how close I can get to Christ, not how far I can get without being too far. And, and that's what I want you to think about um, you know, sometimes I throw these names out without actually considering, you know, like whose interest or what. But, you know, how many of you heard of Martin Luther? My guys are going to laugh their heads off because they've been force-fed a lot of theology and a lot of church history in their little short tenure. But, you know, it's going to bear fruit. Anyways, um, you know, if you're not sure about who that is, when you get home, Google his name. Google the Protestant Reformation or the 90th. Not, anyways, I don't want to get too far off. Um, so either way, when he would teach his students, okay, he would often employ a certain phraseology from Latin to help them understand what it means to walk. As Paul describes in Ephesians here, what it means to walk. And he would use this Latin phrase called corum deo. I want you to write that down. If you got a pen or a pencil, write it on your hand. I don't know. Don't write it on... Anyways, write down... And basically what it means is before the face of God. Corum deo before the face of God. And what Luther would teach his students is that to live your life, quorum Deo, is to live your entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. It is a constant awareness of God's presence, of God's watchful eye, of God's will for your life, of God being the, the sovereign authority for you, so to speak. It's, a, it's living under a divine sovereignty that recognizes there's no higher goal in our lives than to bring glory to God. Okay? You were created for that. Anything outside of that is abnormal. Okay? And, and you think about it. You know, Paul says in everything you do, whether you eat or you drink or in word or in deed, no matter everything you do, do it what? All to the glory of God. And there's nothing that escapes that the, the fence around that, okay? So our lives are to be living sacrifices, okay? Our lives are to be purposeful in, 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 our, uh, in our aim and our objectives and our goals as we offer up a, a spirit of obedience and adoration and gratitude and just how we live is reflective of what we believe. And in, in this whole idea, the, the Christian, and, and follow me here, the Christian who compartmentalizes their life, okay, doesn't understand this. 
Because life cannot be, we do it anyway, but life cannot be compartmentalized. And we use this. I'm guilty of this. We use things like my, my study life or my prayer life or my spiritual life or this life or that life when, no, it's your life, okay? Your life as a whole, it's all attached. You cannot compartmentalize one area and say that it is completely sectioned off, influenced or unaffected by all the rest. No, it is all together. And, and, and Luther would teach his students, he would say that all of life is religious or none of life is religious, okay? And that word religion, it has a different connotation these days. You know, you've heard the phrase, it's a relationship over a religion and things like that, but let me tell you something. And I've been guilty of saying things like that too. But understand this, it's, it, you can't, okay? Because the word religion, and, and I wrote it down here for you, the word religion essentially, by definition, is a system, whether it's a personal or institutionalized, it's a system of attitudes, beliefs, and practices. James summarizes, he says, it's faith and works, okay? It's what you believe and then how what you believe affects everything you say and do, okay? Your religion is your affinity towards what you believe. Typically, religion is assigned to a, a deity or a greater being, our religion being God Almighty, okay? So you can't necessarily say you can't have a relationship with God without having a religion. And you can't have religion with God without having a true relationship. Does that make sense? Okay. So I can see where some of the, the negativity is thrown at that because, you know, sometimes that, that idea of, of sacrilege or that idea of, of, of just living differently than what we say seems to give a bad note to the word religion, but a true religion, okay, is true devotion, is a true relationship, okay? So it's, it's idea, this idea of us living with integrity and consistency and humility all done to the glory of God and to the glory of God alone. So when I say things, when I say the term quorum Deo, okay, that's not just a theme for this week. For the believer, for the child of God, for the born-again, regenerate person, that is in our DNA. That is who we are. It is inescapable. You live, I live, before God, and we have to be mindful of that. We have to be conscious of that. So as we pick up in Ephesians back in, back in chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 15, okay? And Paul says, look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully. How tempting it is to just stop and break these down word by word, but I don't know if you want to be here the rest of the afternoon, but you know, it's so amazing to me if we stop and we consider, guys, what do we look carefully at? How many of you were watching football yesterday? Were you looking carefully at that? Oh yeah, you're analyzing every play, every movement, every decision. Something, I hope you didn't throw anything at the TV. If you did, you know, that's on you. But no, either way, we look carefully. Do we look at our... God is calling us to take careful inventory of our lives. To take an ought to take, to promote. He's, he's telling us to, in order to promote in our lives what God's Word teaches, we have to audit who we are. And we have to consider carefully what we do and what we say and how we live. We look carefully how we walk. How do we walk? He says we want to walk as wise people, not not unwise. And there's, throughout the Bible, there's a, con, there, there's a consistent contrast between wisdom and foolishness. Okay? Wisdom and foolishness. And follow me here. 
wisdom and foolishness is not necessarily like intellect and ignorance. Okay? To be unwise does not mean you're unintelligent. Okay? Do you, do you, do you agree with that? In other words, to be unwise is not to be intelligent, unintelligent because we can be smart people and still do dumb things. You agree? Are you guilty? I'm raising my hand. Okay? So as we think about that, um, how many times, and ask yourself this, how many times has God delivered you from a particular sin or a particular situation or a particular set of circumstances only for you, not far down the road, to find yourself either dangerously close again or smack in the middle again? Do you, okay? Be honest. Be honest. At least be honest with yourself, okay? And, and Solomon, you know, Solomon was one that asked for wisdom. God said, give me, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said wisdom and God was so impressed that he gave him the most wisdom that anybody had ever had, and they, you know, considered the wisest man. Folks would come from all over to get advice, you know. Israel reached its peak under King Solomon. It also began its descent under King Solomon, but nonetheless, King Solomon had a lot to say about wisdom because at the end of his years, he began to, he, his wisdom became unemployed, okay? And he began to be foolish. And he adopted the, the religion and the worship and the, the, the practice of worship from his pagan wives, and, and the kingdom split under his rule. By the end of his rule, the kingdom was split. Okay? So either way, we think about Solomon in Proverbs. He gives us a lot of contrast. You're wise if you do this. You're unwise if you do that. You know, you should do this instead of doing that. Okay? And there's this one particular verse in there that, that sticks in my mind, and it's kind of, the, you know, gross, but either way, follow me here. But he says, as a, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Have you ever heard that one before? Okay. In other words, as absurd as it would be for us to go back and ingest what our body has expelled, that's even more absurd for you to revisit your foolishness that God has rescued you from. Fill in the blanks. Okay. And that's the communication that we're trying to understand from Paul here today. It's not an intellectual issue. It's really a belief. What do you believe about God as revealed in sacred Scripture? Because let me tell you something. If you truly believe God's Word, you would live according to how you believe. Or if you do, okay? And I'm not saying that you don't. That's, that's between you and Him. Okay, and we're gonna, we'll look at that a little bit later, but think about this. You know, Jesus said at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, if any man hears these words of mine and does them, he's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And then he talks about how the storm came and the, and the house stood. Okay, what is the rock? The Word of God. What is the house? Your life. You build your life on God's Word and you're like a wise man and it doesn't fall. Okay. But if you build your life on what you want or what you deem or what society tells you or whatever is in your ear, it's going to fall because it's not on a good foundation. So we're going to pick back up in verse 16 and Paul says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We don't have to sit here and debate right now if the days are evil, right? If you have any awareness of what's going on in the world around you, you know what I'm talking about. But the Greek word there for the word time, okay, it designates a, a period of time that has a fixed beginning and a fixed end. Okay? That's the understanding there. So in other words, it's like, do you, do you remember what James said? I think it's chapter 4. He said, your life is like a vapor. Okay? 
In other words, and, and the brevity of life is a, is a theme throughout the Bible that, that we're not promised tomorrow, and, and life is really short, especially compared with eternity. All right? So when we stop and we consider the, the brevity of life, and you, you, know, you think about your life being a vapor, when you breathe on a cold day, how it, you know, it, you see it for a moment and then it's gone. Then we, then we have an understanding of what Paul is trying to communicate here because he's like, guess what, guys? Life is short. Time's running out. You don't know when, but you know it is. Okay? And he's saying, take full advantage of what's in front of you. Take full advantage of what's in front of you. Take full advantage of the time that you have and use it wisely. Okay? And now we're going to move down into verse 17, and he says, Therefore, do not be foolish. There again, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Knowing and understanding. We've heard that time and time again, but let me say that understanding is also applying. You tracking with me? In other words, if you truly understand, then you're going to have a true application in your life. If you truly understand, you will truly apply. If you are not applying, you don't really understand. Now that may sound, you know, a little harsh or direct or whatever the case may be, but you have to follow me here because in this, we, if we truly believe God's Word, we would do what God's Word says. Because God's Word is very clear. Very clear. You either do what God says or you suffer the repercussions, right? I mean, he's very clear about that. And, and, and we, we, oftentimes we want to subscribe to things like God's love and God's compassion, God's grace, God's mercy, God's patience. But yet when it comes to God's chastisement or God's a punishment or either wrath and judgment, we're like, oh, wait a minute. Well, guess what? If this is the only part of God that you know, then that's an idol. Okay? God is all of these things. And we have to know that just as you can't compartmentalize your life, you can't compartmentalize the characteristics of God. God is who God is. And knowing and understanding of knowing and applying God's will through His Word, that's spiritual wisdom. Because if you were to teach someone how to do something, and they say, yep, I understand, and then they don't do what you taught them, would you think that they understood? No. Okay then. If you know what to do, if God tells you what to do and you don't obey, then you don't understand because you don't believe Him. You don't think what's really got says in here is really going to happen. But let me tell you, there will be a time that there will be no question left in your mind that God meant what He said. Okay? And this Word teaches us to be prepared ahead of that time. In this Word, we find that God gives us clear commands. Be saved. Salvation is a command. Sanctification is a command. Repentance, submission, suffering, okay? Gratitude. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks. And Jesus for us exemplified all of this. Guys, bury your noses in the Gospels and you will see that this is the Jesus that is written about in here, okay? Jesus exemplified everything God demands from you. Jesus exemplified for you. And let me tell you, speaking from experience, talking about that word gratitude, if we have a truly grateful heart full of thanksgiving, it is so much harder to sin. It is so much harder to violate the will of God if we have gratitude 
for the God of that will. Okay? So think about that as we move forward. But every decision we must, in every decision, we must ask ourselves a question, maybe a series of questions, but does this move me further or closer to where God wants me to be? Think about that. In every decision, everything we say, everything we do in preparation for that, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to get me closer to where God wants me to be? Or is this going to take me on a path that is the opposite direction of where God wants me to be? I like the way Paul Washer would put it. He'd say, people ask him, Brother Paul, why'd you do this? Or why'd you do that? And he said, because I believed it was the will of God. Why'd you do Well, I believed it was the will of God. Well, why did you go there? I believed it was the will of God. If that, if, if, could we start asking ourselves that question daily, almost, almost hourly, circumstantially, every time things are in front of us, if we ask ourselves, is it the will of God? That will change everything. Think about it. And I'm just being honest, but you know, everything yesterday that you did, did you do everything you did yesterday because you believed it was God's will? I'm not looking for you to confess today. I just want you to take inventory. Okay? Do your own audit. Everything you did, did you do it because you believed it was God's will? Because let me tell you, only eternity is a real deal, okay? And right now counts forever. And there is no such thing as a passive decision. No, it's all a part of something bigger. And it will outlast you. Do we do things because we believe it's God's will, or do we just do things and then try to manipulate it into looking like something that is remotely resembling God's will? We do that too, right? Every decision we make must pass this test. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that, is the, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now here we go. I'm glad I get to go over this one because nobody wants anything controversial on Sunday mornings, right? Let me say this. Hear me out. The primary thrust of this verse is not alcohol. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's get that out there in front. The primary focus of this verse, this is not a proof text against drinking alcohol. Okay, I'm going to say that too. The Holy Spirit is the focal point. This is less about wine and more about what controls you. Now, let me substantiate some of this stuff. When it comes to alcohol, Scripture doesn't prohibit its consumption, but it doesn't command its consumption either. Okay, be clear about this. Be clear about this. What Scripture is clear about Scripture consistently condemns drunkenness, okay? As so much as drunkards are numbered among those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? Hear me on that too. Sobriety can be forfeited for a number of different things, whether it's lust or greed or anger or jealousy, fear, anxiety. We can forfeit our sobriety over a number of different things. So when it comes to this subject of alcohol, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you to talk to God, okay? Because I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you feel the need to ask someone, you've already got your answer. And if you really want to know, God will be honest with you, okay? I can't, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how to live. I want you to ask God through His Word, through a fervent prayer, to draw close to Him and find out what you should do. But let me give you my advice, okay? Some advice that I've been stubborn to take. 
always err on the side of caution. Always err on the side of caution. If you have a question about it, how about you put it away until you get clarity? Okay? And that's anything in your life, guys. That's anything in your life. But to glaze some context here, Paul's what he's trying to communicate to the Ephesian believers is that, you know, in their, in their pagan society, it was often a common practice in pagan worship to their gods to, to utilize alcohol and sexual immorality and all kinds of crazy things in their ceremonies as they felt like it drew them closer to that God. Okay, and what he's saying is, that's how they do it. You don't do it. That's the foolishness. God says no. Okay? That's the context in which Paul is talking about. This is a command to live continually under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Like we said a minute ago, look through the Gospels. What you find is Jesus, everything Jesus did, He did through the power of the Holy Spirit. He was completely dependent upon the Father to fill Him with the power from the Holy Spirit for His ministry to be successful, for him to execute, for him to, to walk daily, so to speak. Okay? So we cannot, there again, that word compartmentalize, we cannot separate being filled with the Spirit and then walking in the Spirit. They are in tandem. You cannot separate them. Okay? And if we're going to imitate Christ, then we must remember how He lived. Okay? So, and keep in mind, this is progressive. This is a continuation so we are, as we seek, it's an ongoing basis, all right? Just as sanctification begins but it, at salvation, but it isn't completed until glorification. And I'm using all these extra syllables, I'm sorry. But in other words, salvation begin, or, or sanctification begins, your process of being made holy like God is holy begins at rebirth. And it doesn't end until you stand before Him, okay? For the Christian. So as we move forward, and, and, and these verses in verse 19 through 21, and actually it's through the, it's through the rest of the, of the book, um, these are the fleshing out of what that spirit filling actually does. Does that make sense? I use that. In other words, these are the evidences, these are the product of being filled with the Spirit. This is what it's going to look like in your life. All right? They're the direct result of it. So we move into verse 19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so what does this tell us? Well, first of all, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, it flows out of, or pours out of, or spills out of your life into everything around you, every, every other facet of your life, and in those people around you, especially those closest to you, namely your family. In other words, guys, the consequence of being Spirit-filled is you're going to spill some Spirit on somebody else. Does that make sense? Okay? And, and, and there again, this idea that praise in our lives, worship in our lives, can't be compartmentalized either. Guys, if the only time you're praising God is on Sunday morning, you, that's wrong. That's not how this works. If we're not worshiping God Monday through Friday, or Saturday, then we're not ready for Sunday. Sunday is the place where we come and corporately come together, encourage one another, you know, but this is not it. 
If you're waiting on, on Pastor Josh to feed you spiritually once a week, then you're going to live emaciated your entire life. Okay? That doesn't work. How many of you only eat one meal on Sunday and that's it? Exactly. If we did, we wouldn't last very long. Or we you know, wouldn't have much energy to do anything else. So we can't depend on those God has placed before us to be the only time that we allow God's Word to be before us. No, it's a daily ingestion of the truth of God's Word in our lives and then the understanding and application of that coming out of a life that is Spirit-filled. That is how we are meant to walk. That is what that walk looks like. So you think about this. You know, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, okay? Then he goes on to say, because this is uh, your spiritual worship. Your entire life is meant to be a living sacrifice offered up to God, and that is worship is how you live. You're worshiping God and how you do well at your vocation as you are how you do well here at church or how you do well at, at, at serving in the community, or how you do well at Vacation Bible School, okay? All of that. you got to understand, when we talk about all of life being religious, we're talking about the person who, who is serving God to the glory of God and, and being a, a plumber is just as much fulfilling their role as the, the pastor or the missionary overseas. When you're doing everything to the glory of God, when you're doing everything to the honor and, and adoration of God, then you are just as much fulfilling your calling as the person who's standing in front of 10,000 people preaching His Word. Does that make sense? In other words, there, there, there is no saying, well, you know, I'm not that person or I can't do that thing. Do your thing and do it to the glory of God. And you'll find that God is just as pleased in that as He is in the person who's out doing what you consider to be too much for you. Okay? So it's 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 a it's a it's not allowing our own presuppositions, our own preconceived notions to dominate what we believe before we enter into God's word. No, we allow God's word to develop us from the back to the front, from from the ground up. So we don't go into this saying, "Oh, well, you know, wow, I can't do that. I'm not I'm not, you know, God's super holy guy. I can't do all that stuff." No. It's being given over to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to do through you what you never believed you could do on your own. And that begins in daily applications, okay? And then we find here them like singing to each other. There's, they sang Scripture. Believe that, okay? But guess what? You can't sing. You can't proclaim what's not in, in here. You can't sing what you don't have. There again, we have to get it in. David said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Okay? In other words, David learned a valuable lesson. If I value God's Word and I'm continuously investing God's Word in my heart, then guess what? That's the best defense against sinning against Him. Okay? So they sang Scripture. It gets in and it comes out. And then at the end of that, we look at the, They have this, uh, this attitude of, of, being of being grateful, of being thankful, of understanding that like I said before, gratitude precedes a lot of these things because if we were truly grateful for who God is and what God's done, then that gratitude would drastically influence every other part of us, okay? Think about this. God's faithful, guys. God's not going to surrender His throne. God's not going to do 
uh, anything contrary to what He's told us in His Word. So in here, we see His faithfulness. We can trust His faithfulness. You can depend on that. You can count on it. And then by the end, we're looking at humility and kindness and, and submission as those set the tone for moving forward. And I'll be honest with you, I'm glad I didn't get to do the one on wives and husbands because I'm still learning that stuff. And I don't like stepping on toes that i got to walk beside. So... <laughs> Oh, goodness. So let's, let's conclude. Let's, let's, let's wrap all this up. Okay? Living Coram Deo, before the face of God. Okay? I hope you wrote that down. There's no higher, more exalted, more compelling goal than to know God. That's why we exist, to know Him. And when we know Him, we make Him known. You can't know God and not make Him known. You can't obey God and not make Him known, okay? That's just it. We know God and God just, just expels from us. That, that's a part of living and walking as Paul is describing here. And you can't, hey, you can't make known who you don't know and you can't walk where you're not. So Paul began his letter by saying, are you in Christ? He was talking to those in Christ. Is that us? Is that you? Are you in Christ? Have you fully surrendered? I'm not talking about have you walked an aisle? Have you prayed a prayer? No. Have you fully surrendered your life and given it over to Him? Is that something that you can say with confidence, yes, I am fully surrendered? Because there's a story, and I, and I want to draw all this together, in Mark chapter 11. It's after Jesus makes His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He comes by a fig tree. Okay? And I'm actually going to read it for you. But it's a story of him cursing a fig tree. And it's only a couple of verses. Jesus said, On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And if you read down a little bit further, you find that when they returned back the next day, the tree was dead. It was done. It shriveled up. I mean, it didn't even like it wasn't even starting to change. It was gone. Okay? And you may be asking yourself, well, wait a minute. Why would Jesus curse a tree when he just said it wasn't in season? But let me help you understand that just a little bit because it is perplexing at first. If you know anything about, and I didn't until I, you know, have read into it, but if you know anything about fig trees in Palestine, fig trees in that region, they would bear fruit twice a year. Okay? And in those seasons of bearing fruit, they also bear foliage. In other words, they were hand in hand. If you saw a fig tree with foliage, you knew that it had figs because that's what they do. So when it says this tree is out of season, what it meant was it prematurely, it showed, fig, it showed leaves as if it were bearing fruit. So Jesus approaches this tree that looks like a fig tree. It has fig leaves, but there are no figs. Okay? And what this is, is a stern warning about God's just... He hates hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy, and this tree is a sobering reminder of just, of just that. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit, not by its leaves. Every one of us today are wearing Christian leaves. We're sitting in church. You're looking at a Bible on the screen or in your lap or whatever. Every one of us got up this morning, made a conscious effort to prepare ourselves, physically dress ourselves, and come to church. You're wearing Christian leaves. Do you have Christian fruit? 
Do you have fruit as described in God's Word? Okay, and what is fruit, you might be asking? That's anything done to the glory of God because you believed it to be God's will. Fruit is not just soul winning. Yes, that is a, a goal of ours, but fruit is you sub serving and loving and doing what God is commanding, being obedient to the Word of God and doing it to bring glory and honor to His great name. That is what fruit is. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have leaves but no fruit? All right? What if Jesus, what if we were that fig tree and Jesus was to approach us today and say, you know, I'm looking for some fruit. Give me some fruit. And you're to say, I want some leaves? Think back a few thousand years before this. Okay? What were those fig leaves trying to cover up? Shame. Sin. Remember Adam and Eve? What did they do? They clothed themselves because they were naked and ashamed. Okay? Sometimes these Christian leaves that we wear are really trying to cover up what we don't want someone else to see. What we're ashamed of or afraid of and what Jesus is looking for is fruit. Today, the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. When you stand before God, it's too late. You're not just going to strain really hard and boop, pop out a fruit for Him. It doesn't work that way. Fruit is built ahead of time. Fruit is something that is born ahead of time. It begins and it, it comes to maturation before it is picked. You can't do that. Every one of us will stand before God one day and every one of us, God's going to say, show me your fruit and you can't hand them a bushel of leaves. It doesn't work like that. Today, eternity's too... Do not gamble with eternity, folks. Don't do it. I'm telling you not to do it. Salvation is more than an invitation. It's a command. And, and God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. It's the exact opposite. We need Him. But God does invite us. God commands us. And let me say this. It's only by the common grace of God that you and I can draw our next breath. Only by the common grace of God. And I want you to do something with me. It may seem elementary, but just play along anyway. Take in a deep breath. Now let it out. Again. One more time. There will come a day, there will come a time when you won't do that again. As satisfying as that is to take in a deep breath, as it fills your lungs and, and supplies your body with necessary oxygen, one day, that's not going to happen again. One day, that's not going to happen again. And when you take your next breath, you will stand before Almighty God. All of us, sinner and saint, will all stand before Almighty God. And you're going to hear one of two things. You're either going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, are you going to hear, depart from me, you who work iniquity? I, I didn't even know you. And the Bible even said, Jesus even said, some of you are going to plead, well, God, we did this in your name and we did that in your name. He's going to say, I didn't ask for leaves. I wanted you to bear fruit. I want you to consider these things. Ponder this stuff. What are you going to hear? Make no mistake about this, guys. God is calling you today. I don't know. You're not here by coincidence. I don't believe in chance. I believe in the divine sovereignty of God, and if there is anything 
that I can tell you today is that you're not here by accident. You're not here because someone made you come or whatever the case may be. You're here because God desired for you to be here and you're here now because God is calling you to something. I don't know if He's calling you to salvation. I don't know if He's calling you to repentance, if He's calling you to uh, clean up something. I don't know if He's calling you to a deeper devotion or a step of faith or whatever that may look like, but God is calling you to something today and you cannot ignore it because to not respond is to respond. You believe that? You can't just say, well, God, I'm not ready to answer right now. No. That means you just said no. Okay? You can't just say, God, well, give me a minute. God just said, I told you your life is a vapor. That minute may be the most, most valuable minute of your life. God is calling us all to something right now. And if you look back through those Gospels, what you find is every single person that encountered Jesus did not leave the same way that they came. Everyone. If it was someone with an infirmity, Jesus healed that infirmity, forgave their sins. If someone looking for an answer, they got an answer. Sometimes they walked away and they left hardened. Think about that rich young ruler who Jesus you know, told him what to do and as the Bible says, he went away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff and he didn't want to give it up. What is God calling you to today? you got to respond. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.